0: Boy, the city is unusually silent today, is it not? Do you hear it? Sometimes the silence is kind of deafening. Some some find that a bit unnerving, I suppose. A few years into my ministry here, when I was in my middle 30s, I found myself in a very dark, personal place. It was all-encompassing. I was racked by debilitating anxiety, a condition that has periodically has occurred over the course of my life, although much less in more recent years. But back then, at that time, I was an emotional mess and spiritually adrift. Stuck in that dark place, I felt at a loss to affect a positive outcome nearly anywhere in my life. In fact, it seemed the harder I tried, the less effective the outcome. And old motivational strategies sounded hollow, even untrue. An aphorism like, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And all of its cousin left a bitter taste in my mouth. And the fact that I was a Christian minister actually exacerbated this experience, amplifying my profound frustration and helplessness. On the surface, things seemed fine, but on the inside, I I was really a mess. Now, I'm guessing there's more than one person here who has some sense of what I'm talking about maybe not in its detail, but in its genre. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that how uniquely personal experiences, intensely personal experiences like this, among a wide variety of persons, can seem to play the same melody from person to person. I suppose that's why anything we say in a place like this, anything that really attempts to speak to something really, really profoundly meaningful, Elemental, existential to the living of our days can be understood by others. Well, back to my days of darkness. What happened at some point as it got worse, I began to have a series of dreams. It is the only time in my life when I actually had a serial sequence of dreams. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. This is the first and last time that it happened to me. In other words, over the span of say four days or so each night, I dreamt another chapter and so it was just moving forward like this night after night. So over the course of several days I was dreaming that I was venturing on a journey into the desert. I didn't know that in the first dream, but I eventually came to realize it. Each night I experienced a short, startling vignette. The first began in a nondescript town, while during success- sec- successive nights I, I began to methodically walk into an increasingly desolate wilderness. Now, initially I had no idea why, but eventually I thought that I was going into the desert to, get this, meet Jesus. Now, I had never had a dream about Jesus before, and I haven't had a dream since, either, about him. Well, at first the landscape was lush and green. Gradually, as the week wore on, I entered an increasingly arid landscape, leaving friends and family behind, uncertain of my direction, but, but clear that I had to let go of anything that encumbered my progress. I needed to push on. I carried no provision. And finally, one night in a landscape like uh, the best I can equate it is what might be the arid Arizona desert with little scrub brush and cacti. I stumbled into a campfire that seemed a temporary home for a single person. I noticed a bedroll and cooking implements, a small fire under a tripod with a pot. And, And in the dream it occurred to me that this site belonged to Jesus. I did not see him, nor did I ever see him, but I received the intuition that this wasn't my final destination anyway. I wasn't supposed to linger here and have a fine chat. My journey was not yet ended. I heard sensed that he wanted me to go further into the desert. So in the final dream, I was now in what appeared to be the vast emptiness of the Saharan wasteland, only sand dunes as far as the eye could see. I had wandered into an impossible circumstance and would not survive. In unbearable heat, I was starving and thirsting And I, in the dream, could not understand why I had been sent here, of all places. It felt like I had been sent to my death sentence. I could not save myself, and there was no escape. So, collapsing into the sand, all of a sudden the earth began to shake and rumble. And from out of the ground, a glistening, gleaming, and beautiful city erupted all around me like growing out of the earth and beneath my feet came a tower and, I, I, and as I stood it rose up to a, and lifted me up to a very great height and soon the city I saw began to flow with, with uh, rivers and streams and fountains and it was a startling experience. And uh, back in bed I, I jerked awake and leapt to my feet. I was so stunned. And then this phrase came to my mind, interestingly. And it was the phrase that concluded the passage from 2 Corinthians that Barbara wrote. I don't know if you noted it. It was a short phrase that summarized Paul's faith. Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. And let me say, friends, here, that honestly, this you came on a good Sunday because this little bit lies at the very heart of authentic Christian spirituality. Whatever happened during that dream sequence brought me out of my dark place and reframed my point of view. It's hard to describe, really, but it had something to do with trusting God no matter what. I know that this story doesn't sound like much in the telling, that it doesn't sound like a big deal, but honestly, it came to me as a very great gift that I have never forgotten. It is still indelibly imprinted within me. Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. And you know, that is a very troubling sentence for for many, many people. It smacks of failure and incompetence. More than one person has asked, how could weakness ever be a strength? And the answer, well, it's a spiritual paradox. In Paul's case, He suffered from something he named a thorn in the flesh, something from which he had prayed to be delivered. We don't know what this is, but he reports he prayed and prayed over and over again. I could imagine Paul is chronically anxiety ridden, although no doubt that's a simple projection on my part. Still, he finds he is in an untenable situation. He cannot deliver himself from this affliction whatever it is. And the answer that came to him was simply this. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Grace speaks through this weakness, which, in a paradoxical way, is proof of God's activity. For left to his own limitations, Paul couldn't accomplish what God could. My grace is sufficient for you. That was the lesson embedded in my dream as well. I couldn't save myself, you see. And that was nearly 30 years ago, and the insight has never left me. As a matter of fact, I cherish it as one of the very best gifts I have ever been given. But you know, more often than not, we take a very different approach to life, don't we? Many take it on like some giant wrestling match, something to conquer by force of will and dint of hard conditioning. And there is no question that there is much for us to do with all we've been given. A lot is asked and expected of us. We ought to train and work hard. Elsewhere in his letters, Paul exhorts his readers to run the race in such a way that they may win it. He wrote, I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it. Paul is no slouch when it comes to working hard and long for goals that really matter to him. Still, at the end of the day, no matter how well trained, no matter how gifted, no matter how perfected in his skills, his best work, his noblest work, his enduring work, he says, came through the agency of his human weakness as a gift of grace that spoke out of his weakness. That exposes a spiritual truth that is among the most difficult even for Christians to accept. You know, so much of the time we function as though Only the strong and successful are worthy of God's attention. Even if we say otherwise, we very much secretly believe it. How else to explain all of the ways we slice and dice one another into the haves and have-nots, the elect and the damned, the in and the out, the blessed and the cursed, the black and the white, the gay and the straight, the rich and the poor? Unfortunately, Christians are at least as good at that slicing and dicing as anything else they profess to be and do. We might as well confess it because it, it besmears the history of the church, because it is true, because it is true, because it is true. But you can sense how potent an antidote to that very human failing it is to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is sufficient for me because this locates our actual situation in the scheme of things. It is in our weakness, our limitations offered to God that our true strength emerges for it's a strength born on the wings of grace. Isn't that, friends, what happens at our death even? We can no more prevent our death than we can plan our birth. It comes. That's all. That's it. It comes. Evidence of our ultimate limitation. And yet, the Christian hope stipulates that this weakness offered to God is gifted back to us as what? Life with him eternally. And didn't we learn this from a very great failure of a would-be spiritual giant? Didn't Jesus live a very small-scale life in a backwater country and die like a criminal? Isn't that our model for understanding how grace intercedes in the mists of human weakness and limitation? And don't those who gather around at the base of the cross find more in common with their brothers and sisters in their fundamental human need than in all the many ways they would rather demonstrate their superiority. Because at the base of the cross, we all look alike in our naked vulnerability. That's what Paul wanted us to know, and what he wanted his friends to know. Have you seen the uh, the documentary "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" on about Fred Rogers? I really, really recommend it to you. You know. <laughs> When my kids were growing up, I was never a big, particularly a big fan of Mr. Rogers, but I appreciated the kind of work he was trying to accomplish. This film is really worth seeing. Um, Not only is the content worth viewing, but the film itself is expertly crafted. It's a fantastic example of what it Excellent documentary looks like. Well, this past week, David Brooks wrote a piece for the New York Times about this documentary that he had seen recently. And he wrote, in part, about his own experience of seeing this film. And he writes, The audience is moved. Sniffling, wiping the moisture from their cheeks. And by the way, this is exactly what I experienced in the theater. I've never been to a movie where men and women alike are crying at various stages throughout this film. So Brooks is recounting this. And he says the power is in Roger's radical kindness at a time when public kindness is scarce. It's as if the pressure of living in a time such as ours gets released in that theater as we're reminded that, oh yes, that's how people can be. Once. Rogers met a 14-year-old boy whose cerebral palsy left him sometimes unable to walk or talk. Rogers asked the boy to pray for him. The boy was thunderstruck. He had been the object of prayers many times but nobody had asked him to pray for another. He said he would try since Mr. Rogers must be close to God and if Mr. Rogers liked him he must be okay. So an observer Complimented Rogers on cleverly boosting the boy's self esteem, but Rogers didn't look at the situation that way at all. Oh heavens, no! I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted, I wanted, his intercessions. And Brooks' comments. And here is the radicalism that infused that show. That the child is closer to God than the adult. That the sick are closer than the healthy. That the poor are closer than the rich. And the marginalized closer than the celebrated. And friends, that that discovery lies at the very heart of the very deepest Christian spirituality. And it takes a lifetime to learn. Of shedding layer after layer after layer of arrogant and defensive self-regard. For when we are weak, then we are strong.